Hi, my name is Scott Kerland, and my best friend Lils Martin hates musicals. I'm Lils Martin, and my friend and acquaintance Scott Kerland loves musicals. Wait, what? But I don't like I don't like begrudging for it or anything. Wait, I don't know. I said you were my best friend, and you just called me a friend and acquaintance. Yeah. I was working really, really hard on creating this podcast for you where I show you great movie musicals and bad movie musicals because I love you, but you want to be a dick. We were supposed to court this promo for Hell is a Musical, and what are we doing right now? Sounds like we're recording the promo right now. Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network. Be there. Oh, bloody hell. There is no podcast, there never was a podcast, and there will never be a podcast on Sleepy Hollow. Eh, no, fuck it. That's right, we watch Sleepy Hollow, so you know what that means. It's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. The horseman was a Hessian mercenary, sent to these shores by German princes to keep Americans under the yoke of England. But unlike his compatriots, who came for money, the horseman came for love of carnage. When battle was joined, there you'd find him. He rode a giant black steed named Dead. Tear me apart, Lisa! Ah, dang. I'm so excited! I'm so scared! Oh, no. Hey, would you mind putting that gun away? My wife doesn't care, but I'm a very timid fellow. You idiot. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kurland, and we are once again participating in all the horror for 2021. I've done it for the last three years, and my guest is a professor of American and world cinema. So that means we're getting highbrow on this episode. I have Professor Ryan L. Terry. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so looking forward to talking about this uh, often uh, you know, forgotten, uh, if you know, uh, certainly underrated film that was perhaps uh, simply ahead of its time. But in retrospect, there's so much to appreciate about it. So uh, thanks so much for um, for having me on the show. I'm uh, no, no uh, just uh, it's I just I'm just glad to see that this film gets some airtime. I was it is. so it's obsessed with this up. movie. <laughs> When this movie came out, so I'm a huge James Bond fan. This came out the same weekend as a Bond movie, and I wanted to see this overseeing The World Is Not Enough, which I definitely made the right choice. But <laughs> but for a like 13-year-old to pick this over a James Bond movie, mm-hmm. that was huge. Also, it's Tim Burton. It is a, a very uh, kind of a '80s '90s classic Tim Burton. Uh, uh, you know, before he kind of uh, became a parody of himself, and so I think yeah, this that is would be probably his, that'd be his following movie. That was right after this was Planet of the Apes. Yeah, this is really the last time that we witness like what we just remember Tim Burton for. We, we don't remember him for Planet of the Apes or 
Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass or whatever the hell else uh, he's made because it's just. I mean, he got fired yeah. from through the looking glass. <laughs> They, well, they replaced him with the guy who made the Muppets. So, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we have a little rule on this podcast called the Blockbuster Rule, aka the John Curlin Rule. Whenever my dad has been on, he would give a huge blurb to explain the movie, but it would take most of the podcast. So, in a paragraph or less, you are at a Blockbuster, and what is the generic bullshit that it says on the back of the box to get you to rent this movie? Uh, see, a uh, yeah, brevity is not one of my strong suits. My students will tell you that. But um, it's a, a skeptical constable is sent to a uh, puritanical, uh, superstitious town in upstate New York to investigate the mysterious beheadings of the town leaders. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. And those who rented that also rented Crybaby and Pink Flamingos. <laughs> so getting into the meat of the movie, like Tim Burton lets you know right away that he, the first thing he shows is Martin Landau in a nameless role. Like, I think he's uncredited, isn't he? I believe so, because his name uh, doesn't appear uh, in the credits on the film. And I don't think he shows up in the IMDb either. Yeah, Martin Landau just gets eviscerated. <laughs> and I remember seeing it for the first time in the theater. I'm like, because I see the, I didn't put two and two together that it's wax that's dripping. I'm like, oh man, Tim Burton is letting you know right away that there's going to be blood in this movie. And then oh, yes. it was the wax seal. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, but- I, uh, speaking of wax seals, uh, I'm hosting a murder mystery dinner party uh, this year. And I've uh, always remembered that that those wax seals uh, there at the beginning of Sleepy Hollow, and even though the theme of the one I'm throwing is a um, Colorado ski mountain lodge, I it's like well I really want to set the mood, and so I I ordered uh, the metallic red uh, wax seal wax sticks and the and the monogram stamp, and uh, for uh, any listeners who are interested in that, it was like twelve bucks on Amazon. It's not oh yeah, expensive. it's super cheap. So, but it's uh now it is tedious, so you have to like. You gotta it takes a while. Like, it. did you but get the stick great. or did you did you get the tablespoon where you put in the wax into a tablespoon and then you have to light it on fire? Uh, the uh, the the stick. So I lift the stick and allowed the wax to drip down on on the envelope, and then I took the monogram seal and and I sealed it, and it looks so good. It's yeah. just a, it's a little touch that just adds uh. A little bit of class, a little bit of a uh, gothic mysteriousness to the uh, to the envelope and uh, the UPS store. When I took them there to to send them in the post, both the people they were like, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool!" So, I just uh, picture so yeah, totally do it. I just picture the person <laughs> at UPS going, "Ooh!" <laughs> they did. They were enamored with it. So, so if you want to make a statement when you send out invitations, and and, and I I've learned. Uh, you know, that people love receiving paper invitations in the mail. Now, I, I think if you're doing it for a wedding, you're going overboard because that's a hell of a lot of postage. But if you're just throwing a little party for for your friends and you're only having like, you know, eight, 10 people, maybe 12, put in a little extra effort and, and send the paper invitation because people like getting mail. Email is much more efficient and you can track it better. So there's, you know, there are advantages to it, but nothing beats receiving uh, that invitation in the mail. And if you put a wax seal on it, it just makes a statement just like this, the very beginning of this using the wax seal and just having that extreme close up on it tells you, it, it sets the mood for what you're about to experience, which is a gothic horror movie. And so it, it's a perfect way of doing it without telling you anything about the film that this is going to be dark, gothic, and there's going to be blood because the only color that stands out in the entire film is the blood, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But it, it, it sets it all up here at the very beginning. Yeah, the with the with the blood it's like so cartoony (laughs) because he was trying to make a statement because you and i were talking before we started recording uh he uh if anyone doesn't know tim burton is obsessed with gothic horror 
Like, mm-hmm. have you ever seen any of his movies? Um, but he has always been obsessed with Hammer Horror, and that's why he casted Christopher Lee in this movie. Yes. Um, and uh, and Michael Goff. Michael uh, Goff. Both uh, were uh But he worked with Michael Goff. Hammer Horror. He did on Batman 89, Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah. And uh, he's worked Alice with uh, uh, Johnny Depp. And he's worked like he's worked with a lot of these uh, characters, uh, characters, before, uh, actors before. And so I love. But this is his first Christopher Lee cast. Oh, was it his first Christopher Lee? Now this that, is okay, his I, first okay. Christopher Lee movie. And because he wanted Christopher Lee to to originally play uh, Max Shrek in batman oh, returns and okay. christopher lee is like haha no and then he asked david bowie and david bowie was like no and christopher walken's like i'll do it and then we get christopher walken in here too a lot of people don't know that the he- that the hessian mercenary is christopher walken i remember the movie theater uh in my hometown had a giant banner that was about like 20 feet long that had johnny depp with the 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 goggle thingy (laughs) and then then next to him was christina ricci's headshot and then christopher walken and (laughs) oh who was the fourth person it wasn't casper van dien it was was it it may have been miranda richardson okay but it also could have been lisa marie because like lisa marie Mm. has a big role for it I mean, I know she was dating Tim Burton at this time, but he normally just is like, hey, why don't you just be in the background and play with this ball? Like, (laughs) sit there and do nothing. And this time, he really gave her something to do as Ichabod's mom. Yeah. Also, little Ichabod is creepy looking as hell. He he, he could be a Damien for all I know, because that's exactly what he uh what he looks like and it's very dreamy and i like the um i like the contrast between our dreamy world which is uh starts bright and colorful as a as compared to the world that we're in for most of the film which is mostly monochromatic high contrast and so i like how uh you know there's a a great uh, dichotomy of uh, tonal colors uh, in, yeah, in the film. I'm going to look this up. I think Bo Welch worked on this one. Bo Welch did Beetlejuice for him. Bo Welch Which is... makes sense because t- one of the Tim Burton tropes is the black and white costuming, often black and white stripes. And we get a lot of black and white throughout the film. And then we get uh, uh, Christina Ricci's dress at the end of the film, which is right out of Beetlejuice because it is literally the black and white stripes. Are, do you think that this is like a sister film to <laughs> Beetlejuice? <laughs> like, like uh, Christina yeah. Ricci dies and or has a son in childbirth who is Beetlejuice. Don't say it a third time, or we'll get screwed. Uh, um. No, uh, I you know uh, don't because we we don't need uh, we don't need to deal with uh, deal with that right now. Uh, that would be great if there was some kind of connection. Uh, but last year for only two days, but it did debut last year. And of course, uh, Halloween Horror Nights this year is the Beetlejuice house. And so every time I go through it, it's so much fun. It's kind of a timing house, though. If you if your timing is off with the scares, you kind of miss a lot of them. But it's it's a great it's a great house. And when I was rewatching Sleepy Hollow. Uh, for uh, for the show today, having just done the Beetlejuice House, uh, I think I'm on like round six or seven of Halloween Horror Nights at this point. Uh, but going through the house each time, I like I, I was just seeing so many similarities between the two, and I I just I just love that when you can look at a film, have no idea, you know, you could go in not knowing who the director is, but the director's sense of authorship is uh so uh overt that you just instantly know who the director is because it follows you know designs and ideas uh that we associate with him or her and that i love when you can uh, look at that when i talk um what i talk about in my american cinema class when i talk about the authorship of cinema, I use Tim Burton as uh, my prime example. And there are other great examples. It's just 
that Tim Burton is one that I feel is more accessible, especially for students who largely don't seem to watch films anymore. So, uh, so Tim Burton is a great example. And I use Batman Returns because it's just, it's like, it's just so Tim Burton. And, and uh, one of with, the best uh, Christmas movies. <laughs> and with, um, the uh you know with batman returns 89 beetlejuice sleepy hollow they're all steeped in german expressionism which is such a big part of yeah. the american horror film in a classical sense because it gives it that other worldly exaggerated design but it's still steeped in mysteriousness and with this one tim burton essentially combines uh gothic horror uh, uh, German Expressionism and uh, Italian Gialli films that he puts yeah. them all together. And then that's what you, that is what this is. It, it, or uh, uh, I left out hammer. So a <laughs> hammer, which is all those things anyway, but that that's what this is. Cause you have that. I would say 60% hammer. Yeah, so there yeah. you go. So it so. was Rich Heinlein who did the production design. He was a protege of Bo Welch. Bo Welch turned down this so that he could make Wild Wild West. So I oh. think he made a mistake. But yeah, hey, he's the director of Cat in the Hat. So <laughs> yeah, doesn't make a lot of good choices in the late '90s, early 2000s. No. And this but is, he is really speaking of '90s and 2000s. Uh, this is coming at a time. In which, uh, you know, uh, the horror is not, it's kind of waning in popularity largely. We have, there are certainly slasher components in this film and we're coming out of the slasher genre, subgenre, uh, attempting to make a resurgence. And we have good examples in, in Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer, Halloween H2O, which is my favorite Halloween sequel, by the way. <laughs> and... And so, but largely it's not, it's just, it is waning in popularity. So I think, you know, this comes at just a weird time that it's, uh, could explain why it wasn't received as well at the time it came out as I think it is, uh, you know, or would be today. Uh, because we can have a, a greater appreciation for it because of the, uh, the, the artfulness of the storytelling and you don't really care that it's not grounded in Washington Irving's original short story. The major components are there, characters, names are there, but you don't care because that's not what this is. This is not, uh, that's, I mean, that's why it's not Washington Irving's Sleepy Hollow because this is uh, executive produced by Francis Ford Coppola and yeah. often with him, you get Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary so, Shelley's Frankenstein. You don't have Washington Irving Sleepy Hollow because this is Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Well, do you know why Coppola is producer on this? Uh, other, uh, I don't know, but I do see similarities between Bram Stoker's Dracula and Sleepy Hollow in terms of the design and the tone uh, and the... I don't and and hearkening back to a 60s 70s style you no know, horror but no I, I don't know um exactly why he was supposed to direct this he oh. he was supposed to direct this and after the rainmaker tanked uh mm. Warner Brothers and Paramount who were collaborating on this were like we're taking this back <laughs> and he's like fine but I stay on as producer and I get my 10% and they're like okay all right, and you you can't really cut out Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, the 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 man is an institution. I mean, you can't say no. So I I'm glad to see his name attached. And and now that you mentioned that, there is a lot of uh, Coppola Coppolaness. Coppola. I will make that a word uh, here <laughs> here uh, in the film. So I looked up 1999 was an odd year for horror. I looked up from July of 1999 until this movie came out in October, mm -hmm. what the movies that were released for horror films. So you have The Haunting with Liam Neeson. I like The Haunting. It gets a lot of hate, but you know, I like it, to be honest. First time I, I, like I saw it, it I hated than, uh, I liked it more than... Um, Flanagan series. I'm actually not a fan of Flanagan's uh, haunting Blythe Manor. I didn't even give um, 
uh, Midnight Mass a chance because I did not like the first two. However, the announcement for Fall of the House of Usher, I think I may like because yeah. that isn't supposed to be, quote, horror. It is a dark drama. It's uh, the house is a manifestation of our central character psyche. So I think I may like it a little bit more, but no. And I don't care that it's uh, that I'm a contrarian on those series because I, I, I just I, I did not care for them. And so I would I would rewatch The Haunting before I ever rewatch the uh, the Haunting of Hill House. But the house at HHN this year is incredible. I love the design of the house. So I'd rather do the house than rewatch the series. And then uh, <laughs> after that, you had the the Blair Witch Project. Ah. Then you had Sixth Sense. Okay. Stir of Echoes, which I think Stir of Echoes is better than the Sixth Sense, but I'll I'll go to my grave with it. Um, I was a then, contrarian on our last one. You can be the contrarian on uh, on uh, <laughs> on that one there. I love Stir of Echoes. Well, I love anything with Kevin Bacon and uh, what's her name? Um, oh, Jesus. Um, oh, my God. I forgot her name. She was in... Um, uh, hold on. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, Ileana Douglas. I love Ileana Douglas. But uh, then... Right before Sleepy Hollow, they released the remake of House on Haunted Hill, which that to me was just torture porn. Like I hate Oh, that was that. that was terrible. That was that was awful. And then they released this. So we had like a very slow year for horror. Oh, and how could I forget Deep Blue Sea? Ah, uh, I love Deep Blue Sea. Everyone it loves is Deep Blue Sea. So much fun. It's quotable. It's Fun. Your yes, hero is. is the villain. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We get that. Uh, we get. Uh, we. It's gif worthy with that monologue from Samuel L. Right before uh, he gets swallowed by the shark. Spoilers. So it, it, oh, if you haven't, it's, get, it's almost thirty years old. If you haven't seen it at this point, it's like that is that is that is your problem. Yeah. And it. it yes, it is inspired by jaws but you know what it did it took what we liked about jaws but it still told a new story and so it wasn't trying to to be as good as or be better than it's like no we are inspired by it but why not it's one of the best but we're gonna tell our own story and it's kind of campy i i like it it's 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 so much fun to watch and the fact that ll cool j and his birth live at the end <laughs> um but yeah, so it was very slim pickings. But if you notice a common theme, with the exception of Deep Blue Sea and Blair Witch, most of these films, including Sixth Sense, I'll lump this in there, are kind of gothic horror. Like 1999 was a big year for gothic horror or simple ghost stories. Mm -hmm. And this is what, what Sleepy Hollow is. It's just using a character. I, I love the fact that Ichabod Crane in this is a police constable instead of it made no sense that he was just a school teacher in the original novel trying to like, win the hand of a wealthy farmer's daughter it sounds like the sounds like the start of a like, of a bad joke yeah where in this I love how he's like I'm not here to meet women's I'm here to solve crimes <laughs> and then all of a sudden everyone is throwing themselves at at Ichabod Mm -hmm. Katerina, Katerina's stepmom, who can we just talk about how good Miranda Richardson is in this? The fact oh, she was not nominated. So good. I I love her look. I love her her line delivery. There's so many uh, there's a lot of subtlety and nuance to her performance. And she has less screen time than Christina Ricci does, and yet she still leaves an indelible mark upon the film and a, a, a fantastic range of character. We have her in this a few years later, we would have her uh, in the Phantom of the Opera remake you can say what you want about the Phantom of the Opera remake. But I thought um, as uh, I forget the, the ballet instructor's name, but you know, as that character, I thought she did a great job. So she's uh, uh, certainly an actress that, uh, you know, that we don't, Again, kind of like this film, we don't really talk about uh, a lot, but she was great. She was creepy and uh, mysterious, but yet there was something very alluring about her. And, and not to mention her costuming. Oh, 
just beautiful costumes throughout the entire thing, especially the dress she's wearing at the end. I just love her sense of style or her, her stylist sense of style. But I, I love, uh, I, I, I just love it. I mean, so I was watching this and I realized like she was Rita Skeeter in, in Harry Potter and she's married to Dumbledore in this. And then <laughs> the doctor is Emperor Palpatine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like all of the actors in this movie have had other more crucial roles. I mean, Christina Ricci is, is Wednesday Adams. Exactly. They're all incredibly accomplished thespians. But again, getting back to its roots in Hammer Horror, that's what Hammer did. It took these acclaimed actors, kind of like Harry Potter, acclaimed British actors, and we're putting them in these fantasy roles and that's what we have here accomplished british actors uh, of both screen and stage american actors as well and we're putting them in this uh, kind of campy film but yeah let's not uh, for, let's it, not forget but, about starship troopers star casper van dean yeah. <laughs> i honestly uh, i was kind of so happy this is gonna sound so mean but when he when he dies like, like he kind of deserved it. It's like, hey, he doesn't want you. And then, like, Ichabod's like, oh, fuck, now I need to fight him too or I'm going to look like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, uh, and I like the the change in his character, whereas in the original story, it's kind of left up to the reader that he may be, like, the Headless Horseman may not be real, that he may be the Headless Horseman, and, you know, try, uh, winning the farmer's daughter's uh, heart, again, sounds like a bad joke, and I, I like how we include him, he's he's not he's not maligned, we, we include his character, but makes so much more sense, I like the fact that he turns out to be a dick. Actually, Ichabod's kind of a dick too, but there's a. Uh, I mean, Ichabod doesn't grow at all. He's, no. <laughs> Ichabod still uses people as human shields. Like yeah. at the end, when the headless horseman come puts his his head back on, he puts Katrina and the boy in front of him. He does. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so um, one thing that I I take away from this, like a huge theme of this is land owning, which. When on my other podcast, Hell is a Musical, when we did Greatest Showman, um, mm-hmm. one of the credits for P.T. Barnum was that he was a landowner. And I was like, is, what, back then, was that a huge thing? And apparently, according to this movie, that's a huge thing. Like, owning land means, like, you're a billionaire. Yeah, I, I mean, I still think it, it, it rings true today because, you know, that is uh, what uh, many individuals... Uh, aspire to not it's not their life's goal but it's certainly uh, a box to check along the way because then you're essentially master of your castle instead of always having to answer to somebody else and so I I think it was perhaps a bigger deal during uh, the uh, uh, it's not colonial times but you know post uh, post revolutionary war times uh, and the uh, kind of turn into the uh, 19th century, but you know, it is, uh, I think it's something, um, something that's uh, many people can relate to. Now, some people don't really care, but you know, others, it, you know, it is, it's a big deal because you don't want somebody else to tell you what you can and can't do with your property. And when you're a tenant, you know, certainly that is often is part and parcel. Uh, with that and so you're bringing um, so much class to this dick and fart joke podcast (laughs) 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 but yeah i mean it's the fact that that in this movie the whole subtext this is like not just a really good gothic horror movie it's a really good crime thriller like yes this this at times gets into like silence of the lambs level of like sociology and psychology especially with Ichabod Crane's mental state where where you find out that his father who honestly looks like he looks like an old young version of Michael Shannon um I didn't think about that but you know what he kind of does (laughs) but like he comes from this very religious home but his mom was a witch and that's very similar to in Silence of the Lambs where Clarice her father was, you know, uh, 
basically this huge light in her life, but mm-hmm. she's still tortured by something that happened to her as a kid where yeah. I, most of the nineties, like good crime stories and crime movies involved trauma to the mm-hmm. main detective. And yeah. I feel like we lost that now. Like, like, I think the last really good crime thriller was two years ago with Knives Out. I love, I love Knives Out so good. Any um, movie but, with, uh, um, with Brian Johnson. Uh, you could uh, put in there a simple favor. Certainly a lot of what Blake Lively's character is doing throughout the film is steeped in her familial trauma. Right. But once again, that was that was four years ago. Oh, has it been that long ago at this point? Oh, 2017. So oh, man. Yeah. It's, it's so good. I, I forget sometimes, uh, you know, how, uh, how time has gone past. Uh, but I think you, you hit on something really important there that's also uh, in the film, you know, speaking uh, of the, uh, the trauma that Ichabod uh, Crane experienced. Uh, one way I, you know, I like to read this film is extreme version of worldviews. And so we have Ichabod Crane is an extremist in terms of there's only science. And then you have the uh, the worldview of uh, both his father and the town, the, largely the town that he's going to, uh, which is uh, extreme uh, man-made traditions. Sorcery. That, that are uh, uh, steeped in their warped view of religion. And but so we then they turn out to be right. These, and we have uh, both of these views. And so what I like about what the what the uh, partly what the film illustrates is that uh, extreme views uh, are not where we should be. You know, perhaps the answer lies somewhere in the middle because there are things that science can't explain. And there are reasons why an extreme uh, view uh, in terms of man-made traditions uh, around religion, uh, yeah. you know, would also, uh, you know, uh, hinder, you know, how we equitably uh, treat one another. And so I, I like how uh, we play around with the idea that, you know, extremism uh, in one's worldview is not good and can uh, lead to destruction. And we see that played out uh, very well in the fi- in this film, which uh, is uh, kind of a tug of war between uh, uh, dominant and emergent ideologies, and I like how we play around with uh, with those ideas, and it, it adds to you know this uh, uh, you know it it adds to the the atmosphere because very much uh, the setting uh, the design is kind of, is a manifestation of of these ideas. Yeah, like the whole Katarina coming from a family of of both religion and witchcraft and him coming from a family of religion and witchcraft, they handle it very differently. The fact that Katarina is like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go full Stevie Nicks witchy woman. (laughs) And he's like, no, we need to repress it. And we need to use science and logic. And then it's like, Oh yeah, uh, she was right, and she was trying to protect you, and you're kind of a dick. Yeah, so it's uh, I, I, it's it's it, I think it's uh, uh and looking at uh, those themes it certainly adds a lot of depth to the film. And again, why why it is so rewatchable because we can uh, we can have uh, these uh, these conversations, and it's it, it's a it's a great way. Uh, to uh you know look at extremism in uh beliefs and worldviews and how you know uh you know maybe it's not uh, maybe you can't be 100 percent one way or 100 percent the other without acknowledging uh the other side and what it can add to uh you know to what it means to be human and it's uh you know it's not overt and that's why it works uh, a lot of times today whenever a filmmaker has a particular worldview or ideology they take a page out of the french new wave and it's just so incredibly overt you know thus not affording the audience to have an internal monologue when they leave the film because you just beat them over the head with a two by four of whatever you know whatever you want them to take away from the film and this is uh, much more subtle because you can be entertained by it 
But then if you look a little further, ah, oh, there's a lot of uh, brilliant commentary that's uh, lurking in those liminal spaces just beneath the surface. That's why I'm looking forward to Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, because that is inspired by a horror film that I love, Don't Look Now. I love Don't Look Now. It's a great great jump scare. And again, listeners, there's nothing wrong with jump scares. However, (laughs) there is something wrong with poorly timed, poorly set up, overly used, misused, abused jump scares. But the jump scare in and of itself is a great tool. Just know how to use it. And Don't Look Now has one of the best jump scares of all time toward the end. Yep. So, so John, don't, you know, don't hate on them too much. John Krasinski is also a master at that. I've gotten two jump scares, one in the first Quiet Place, but the one that scares me the most is in the second Quiet Place. Spoiler mm. alert for Quiet Place Part <laughs> 2. Have you seen it? Uh, I, I have. I, I wasn't terribly high on it, uh, but I, I did see it. But the bear, the bear trap, that yes, bear trap was good. I like that is trap. like because <laughs> I saw it and I was like so sick to my stomach. Mm. Um, but but with this, there is one jump scare that, as a kid, scared the crap out of me, and that's when he's doing the autopsy and he just lifts the neck just slightly and a bunch of cockroaches come out. I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is, that is a really good one. We, um, I think the, uh, when his mom uh, falls out of the iron maiden, it's not quite a jump scare. Cause we, we do lead into it, but just how shocking uh, the, you know, just uh, how she falls out and the amount of blood. I, I, I like that moment in the film as well. Cause it's, it's very creepy. What was the blood budget on this movie? Like, it must have been ginormous. <laughs> it had to be at yes. least six figures. Uh, it, it, ha- it had to have been. And what's great is, from what I could tell, it's all practical. The, the only CG is the intentionally bad CG in the film. And, and the rest of it is practical. And you, I, it's like, I, I love a film that embraces it because you cannot replace the way real light bounces off of real objects into the camera lens. At the end of the day, even the best CGI in the world only has two dimensions, length, uh, width, and height. There is nothing else. There's but a reason why Jurassic Park still yeah. holds holds weight. I mean, with this, he wanted, he did not want to use any CGI, but they were they were over budget. And the studio would not let him do stop motion for the skull like he wanted because he wanted to do, um, if you uh, remember in, I think it was Christopher Lee's last Dracula, I think it was the curse of Dracula for Hammer Horror, when Dracula is stabbed and dying, they use stop motion to make him deteriorate. And he wanted to do that. And Paramount was like, fuck no. They're like, you're, you're, I think he was like, Five hundred thousand or a million dollars over budget, mm. and they're like, "You're way over budget." And I don't know if this movie, this, they were so shocked by the dailies, like they're like, this, "No one's gonna see this. No one's gonna like it." And it did tank a little. It did well, like word of mouth, and it did amazingly on VHS, mm-hmm. but it did not do well the first two weeks of release. No, um, it has a um, a pretty decent uh, IMDb score, though, if I remember correctly. It's like seven point something. So yeah. it actually has a and, and I think much of that is probably due to the years following, because I don't foresee that. Um, uh, I don't think IMDb, if it was around in 99, it was a fledgling of what it is now. Uh, but I don't think it would have had a 7.234, uh, whatever it is. So I think some of that is in retrospect. But I love when a film, uh, we can rediscover a film and see value in it now that perhaps the audiences of when it came out didn't see a Showgirls, which has seen a resurgence in, it's like, oh, Verhoeven actually made a brilliant film. It was just ahead of its time. And, <laughs> and a little and gross. It's uh, I, I think it did. Uh, Hustlers can't hold a candle to it. It did what Hustlers did 30 years ago better than Hustlers uh, would ever hope to be able to achieve. Right. I and would say that like it goes showgirls, Hustlers, then striptease. 
yeah so so but it's like those are like films uh, you know are just they are sometimes released i mean in retrospect we can say they were released ahead of time and this is a horror film that if people haven't seen it i would recommend going back and rewatching. I, I have it on dvd and it's been a dvd i've had for a long time i uh, have it on dvd i have it on blu-ray and i uh, have it on digital that looks gorgeous on blu-ray it's great uh so this was johnny depp's third movie of 1999 he had four movies come out in 1999 all was within one of them the secret window or rear window no that was or... 2002 oh that came out later okay so in august he had uh uh the astronaut's wife no that was july july was the astronaut's wife then he had the ninth gate mm. then this in october and then in november he had from hell Oh, wow. Quite the year for Mr. Depp. That is, that is impressive because that is a lot of films in a, uh, you know, over the previous, you know, couple of years of production to be involved with. And with the exception of, um, of the astronaut's wife, they're all Gothic tales. Mm. Also, I thought it was weird with from hell that that's the Hughes brothers. Yeah. Like I love when directors go out of their comfort zone to make movies where yeah. Tim Burton has done it three times in his career. He made Ed Wood, which mm-hmm. kind of feels like his comfort zone, but he's never made a biopic than yeah. Big Fish and Big Eyes. And I like Big Eyes. It, it didn't get as much attention as I had hoped it, it would have. I, I think it's... I don't, it, it's just, it's, I, it's, I thought it was a fantastic film. I think it's because it's so by the numbers. Mm-hmm. It's it's a flat out biopic. And when you hear Tim Burton, we were under the assumption that that one scene where she sees everyone with as her drawings, mm-hmm. everyone thought the entire movie was going to be like that. And it wasn't like, uh, no, it's kind of just a courtroom drama. It's kind of Kramer versus mm-hmm. Kramer. Yeah, it is. It very much uh, is a uh, has shares a lot in common with Kramer versus Kramer. I, I never, I never thought about it that way before, but you're right. It, it, it really does. Like everyone thinks that Tim Burton is original and I'm not saying Tim Burton's not original. Tim Burton is one of my favorite directors. He's up there with, with Tarantino and with Catherine Bigelow and the Coens, but he does take a lot from other you know, directors and animators. Like, if you look at most of his animation, it's heavily inspired by Ralph Bakshi, Mm -hmm. heavily inspired by Rankin and Bass. If you look at most of his films, even Batman, to a certain extent, is inspired by other directors. Like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a Richard Lester movie. It's Mm -hmm. exactly like Hard Day's Night. Uh, If you look at this, this is basically him saying well i have coppola here i don't know why you guys fired him and he apparently he was like calling coppola at night he's like well how would you do this what did you do in bram stroker like what did you do for this and that and he's like oh yeah so for the crawling on the wall we did this for the shadow we did that so he basically is a director who knows how to pay respect yes and I want to see, you heard that Steven Spielberg is making a biopic of his life, right? He's basically- No, making, I, did, I did not know that. He's making, uh, Steven Spielberg is making his own autobiography of his life. And he casted Seth Rogen to be his uncle and Paul Dano to be his dad. I want to see a Tim Burton movie that is his own biopic. It's autobiographical and he gets Nicolas Cage to play him. <laughs> oh my gosh that that would be a treat i i could i could totally see that but everything in this movie so i was looking up uh when he didn't think that Depp was going to be available guess who he went to to play ichabod crane hmm let's see this would have been probably around 97 so who 99 well, well, I mean, the production would have oh, started yeah. in 97, 98. So I got to think of who would have been, who would have been uh, a go-to 
at that time who could have played this uh i don't know i'm uh i'm uh i'm gonna blow your mind uh, kind of struggling there so uh who was the who was the originally after because he had overlaps with his other like 20 movies that he was filming at once tim burden went to val kilmer Mm. on i can see it i guess i'm just kind of tainted at his batman and it's just kind of i know he's more then uh that was forever wasn't it was he he was oh no he was batman forever batman yeah. forever is still better than batman and robin oh no oh no well them's fighting words batman returns definitely the best yeah yeah no i'm not disagreeing i'm saying that oh i'm saying batman forever is better than batman uh and robin oh, oh yeah, yes oh it's it, it is it is it's better no, than there, Batman. There's only robot. one Batman, and his name is Michael Keaton. But yes, there is. <laughs> followed by Kevin Conroy. No, I, I, I'm saying that, like, as Batman go, he's oh, not as God. bad as as some other ones. He's he's not as bad as Clooney. I sh- and and he's certainly had a you know a, a vast career before then. I just I think that his portrayal of Batman just um, unfortunately causes me or. Uh, predisposes me to forgetting about uh, you know, who who he is uh, as an actor. Yeah. But Tim Burton was watching. He didn't even watch Batman Forever. Tim Burton's like, I'm not going to watch it. What he watched that made him be like, okay, if I can't get Johnny Depp, I'll go with Val Kilmer because he was watching mm. Tombstone. Oh. And like, in my opinion, Val Kilmer gives one of the greatest performances as Doc Holliday. Hmm. Like that is a performance that that I would show to anyone and be like, you want to see subtle acting? This is where you go. But the other person after that was Hugh Grant. Okay, I could. Okay, I I kind of see Hugh Grant. Uh, I could in see the Hugh role. Grant too, but he did Notting Hill instead, which I think was the wiser choice. Yeah. But yeah, so. Like he wanted to go with British actors originally, mm-hmm. and then he ended up just going with his his regulars, and he was gonna cast Winona Ryder, but then Winona and yeah, Winona forever. Um, mm-hmm. and then he casted Christina Ricci because Barry Sonnenfeld is like, "Have you worked with Christina?" And he's like, "No," and he's like, "Work with Christina. She's great." And then now next thing you're going to tell me is that he approached Michelle Pfeiffer to play Miranda Richardson's character, but she was already committed to what lies beneath and, uh, and wasn't able to, and wasn't able looking to at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved, I, that's what I was thinking. Cause we have uh, many, you know, Burton slash Batman uh, veterans in this well, film. Yeah. Like, that's what he was going like, to do. No way. I was just, I was just, I was just totally because, just guessing there <laughs> because Christopher Walken as, as the headless horseman, he thought eh, people might get a kick out of the fact. But then, like apparently, before he even called Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, he was watching. Um, oh man, what he was watching one of uh, those period piece Merchant Iron movies with with Miranda Richardson in it, mm-hmm. and he's like, nah, she she's got something. There's something about her that I can't put my finger on. Is basically <laughs> what he said, and. Uh, he was, oh, I'm trying to find it right now. It was the crying game. He saw her in the crying game. Oh, I've not seen that in such a long time. Yeah. He saw her in the crying game and was like, oh, what? She, she she'll do. <laughs> She's good. <laughs> but yeah. So like the, the whole history of this movie from like start to finish basically has such a weird unique history the fact that it tanked at the box office but did so well on video was kind of unheard of because like they didn't know if vhs was still going to stick around because this was 1999 and, and dvd was coming out but apparently because dvd was so affordable over vhs people were buying this off the shelf so, yeah, I mean, I also love the fact that 
when he's working on the entire like investigation and and trying to every time he he thinks he has a suspect he gets them killed <laughs> yeah he does uh, he he really maybe maybe he was uh uh maybe he was a headless horseman the whole time just like Jessica Fletcher is really the one committing all the murders and murders she wrote she's I always still believe that I truly believe <laughs> that Jessica Fletcher is killing everyone on that island <laughs> I I think of him more of a not crafty enough to be pulling that off I yeah. think of him more of a as this version of Ichabod is like Inspector Clouseau he like kind of is yeah yeah so i just i just picture him like being like i know who it is it's this person they're dead never mind <laughs> uh the, the, the beheadings were like they, they were uh, just they were all done so well where they were just you know uh like it, it was uh you know, you know gruesome but it was also there was like kind of a wink wink nod nod it, it being a you know uh there's some humor in it as well and so I, I like the, I, I, the each of the beheadings. No, no two beheadings were the same. They were yeah. all unique in how the decapitations happen. And there was, uh, it was actually one of the the less bloody parts of the film. But yet, uh, it, it was the autopsy that was the bloodiest. A, uh, yes, that's such a such a fun mark. And there was a, just a little, like there's just a little humor in each of them, except for maybe. Uh, the one of uh, Miranda Richardson's uh, 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 Van Tassel. I think her uh, last name is Van Tassel's sister. Like that one was kind of basic, but the rest of them were really creative. Yeah, all I could think of when uh, she takes that axe out is, so I married an axe murderer. Yes. <laughs> but in the in the end, like with, with the design of the the horseman, I thought the design was amazing. And I was doing research because I'm like, that's not Christopher walking on the horse, chopping people's heads off. Do you know who the, the headless horseman is? The actual no. headless. Mm-mm. It's Ray Park. It's Darth Maul. No way. That is so cool. I had, I had no idea. That's, that's why when he gets off the horse and he kills Brom, he does the, the, the twirly twirl. Like Darth Maul does. Yeah, because that's right. Because that was also 99, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Wow. I never made that connection. Yeah. And then a year later, he was in X-Men. Oh, wow. I love that. I never, never, never thought to look up who the actual Headless Horseman was. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Ray Park Honestly, he's like Doug Jones. He's one of those character actors who has done motion capture and and uh, costume stunt work for so many years and get, gets no credit. The fact that they had a separate horseman to do the the faraway uh, horse riding, but mm-hmm. he was on like the dummy horse for the close-ups, and mm-hmm. he was terrified to be on a horse. Wow. No idea. So, that is so cool. Yeah, like everything about this movie, I don't only just watch this once a year. I watch it at least three or four times a year. Wow. So I watch it I watch it always in July because that's when the trailer was released for it. Okay. And like for some reason it sticks in my head. But in wintertime, I'll watch it two or three times because it's cold and drabby and it just feels like well and it does take place uh i'm get uh, i don't think we know the exact date but i think it does take place in december because he's talking about uh the approaching new year yep. and i think uh it may have uh it ends with snowfall new year's yeah so it may uh, uh uh take place uh i never thought about that taking place and maybe like november december ish because yeah this is not a halloween movie like i mean it's a halloween movie but it doesn't take place in october it takes place in november december huh that that is i never uh i guess i never paid that uh a thinking that much about it till just now very interesting yeah also the fact I don't know how good their relationship is going to be in the end because, you know, Katrina is so used to like small country life and she's moving to the big city and he's accused her so many times of being a witch. Yeah. I mean, that's yes, just a recipe uh, for disaster. 
growing up, I I was I did child uh, children's theater. I was a child actor, um, but I knew a stage mom, and this woman was one of the reasons why I got out of like acting as a kid. Mm. But she's like, my son was originally supposed to be cast in the role of the stable boy. I'm like, no, he wasn't. Like like as as a twelve year old, thirteen year old boy, I'm like, you're full of shit, lady. And yeah. she's like, they didn't cast him because he was blonde and the only person who was supposed to be blonde in this movie was was Christina Ricci. I'm like, uh what about Miranda Richardson? What about this person? What about that person? She's like, shut up. I'm like, oh you told the told the twelve year old to shut up. Good for you, lady. <laughs> But yeah, uh, the kid who plays uh, what's his name, young Ma- uh, young Master Matt Smith, mm-hmm. that kid was great. I love that kid. I looked up uh, to see uh, what else he did. A lot of uh, not a little bit parts uh, here and there uh, throughout his career. But he he, uh, he was fun because he was just like, I'm you're gonna be my adopted father like figure because I'm kind of an orphan. And yeah. they kind of share, they kind of share a lot in common, both a little socially awkward, uh, perhaps uh, erotic, and they and they share that. So young Masbeth uh, really understands Ichabod Crane. Well, what what would have been great is if, as soon as they uh, arrive in New York, he's like, "Oh, thank you, young Matt Smith. Time to go to the orphanage." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah funny. but but how would it be if this just becomes uh uh gotham by gaslight and ichabod becomes batman and he becomes robin <laughs> and that means oh. katrina is uh or katarina is is catwoman she could be entered i mean her name lends itself to it katarina we could i could i could totally see that being uh, uh being a thing we didn't we didn't even talk about the fact that the prison in new york it's like oh let's just kill him let's just hang him let's put him in the stocks <laughs> yeah very uh, uh very rash so there's not much of uh not much of a uh, due process at our court I, system there brilliantly uh you know managed uh, by sir christopher lee so yeah. it's like if i'm gonna be put to the death i you know if I'm if it's gonna happen, I, I'd rather the the sentence uh, be uh, uh, be executed by Sir Christopher Lee. I also love the <laughs> fact that they're like, oh yeah, he was there at the scene of the crime. <laughs> Kill him, and then yeah. Ichabod's like, but what about science? And they're like, you're a fucking witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it was Just, very uh, helps set up his character. We we learn who he is. Uh, we learned the world right up front with the opening sequence. And then we learn who he is. We, we, we know within 10, 15 minutes, we know everything we need to know for the rest of the film. So the, the thing that pissed off Paramount the most is that this movie, they made the mistake of trying to have merchandise at hot topic, which not the worst idea. Or was it no. Spencer's gifts? Well, this film kind of lends itself to either Spencer's or Hot Topic. I, I could I could certainly see merchandise out of that for those for those two stores. But they they shelled out for Mark McFarland Toys to make not just a headless horseman action figure, which in my opinion that's the only action figure you should have of this. Yeah. This is. But they made an Ichabod Crane with removable heads, and they made a Katarina. You didn't mm. need those other two. You just needed the headless horseman. Yeah. And the t-shirts. Mm. The t-shirts were cool. Yeah. These were those old school hot topic motion graphic t-shirts. Oh, where nice. it was it was uh the headless horseman without a head, and then you move forward and it's Christopher Walken. Oh my gosh, that's great. I'm gonna have to go on eBay, see if I can find one of those. They're really rare. So if you find mm. one, you're probably gonna pay a ton of money. <laughs> No, that's, I mean, that's the uh, same I see with some of the rarer Funkos that I have. Sometimes you just have yep. to, uh, you, ju- you just, you just got to shell out. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I got my Kubo <laughs> from Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, Love Kubo and the Two Strings. Should have won the a, Oscar that year. You know, yep, fuck talk about Animal Crossing tale. or whatever it was. Zootopia? Uh, yeah, Zootopia. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. As we get to the end of this, did we miss anything? Like, 
is there anything else that we we glossed over? No, no, uh, no. I think we've uh, certainly been a comprehensive approach to the film that I, I hope inspires listeners who haven't seen it or have only heard about it in passing or referenced. I certainly hope it uh, encourages them to check it out. Uh, you know, here it's uh, as to your point, it's a, a great film to watch, uh, no matter what the time of year is. But certainly, we are in spooky season, so it'd be a great way if you're not already in the Halloween mood. It'd be a great way to put you in the Halloween mood because it's much more of a Halloween movie than it is a quote horror movie, and both in like the more you know conventional senses. So I, it's a, a great pairing, and it's got jack o' lanterns in it. And so I like when we can. Uh, we can uh, have jack lanterns and Halloween movies, and so it, there's uh, so much, uh, so much to like, and maybe even some really good costume ideas. If you're still not sure what you want to do uh, for Halloween, if you're uh, making a costume, making one is always more fun than buying one. Yeah, so YouTube costume, YouTuber, like, like, great ideas. YouTuber Rachel Makesy, who is from my neck of neck of the woods here in uh, Boston, uh, she made Katarina's dress. Ooh. She recreated it. Yeah. So like people are doing it. And if you listen to this podcast and you haven't seen this movie and you listen to the cure or echo and the bunny men or the joy division, you should probably watch this movie. <laughs> so uh, Ryan on our scale of, one to 13 bagels you have a baker's dozen how many are left in your bagel basket if it's great how how many are left in my oh how many are left in? are you taking any out for because if it's bad all the bagels are oh oh okay i'm gonna say there are um, let's see I have to count on my fingers. I'm not really good with math. Um, I'm gonna say there. I'm gonna say there are five bagels left in four bagels left in my basket. So out of uh, out of uh, out of thirteen bagels, I would have consumed. Um, that, uh, four is bad. Four, four, if it's bad, that's bad. That means well, it's no. A bad so I, thought, I thought it was how many I'm leaving in the basket, meaning I consumed all but four bagels. Or whatever, no. whatever. So I would know if it... you're if you're eating bagels, that means you're bored and that this doesn't work. Uh, oh, that's how that goes. Oh, if it's well, good, it... if it's oh. good, 13, there are 13 bagels left. If it's bad, there oh, are nine, no bagels. Nine, left. nine bagels. OK. OK. <laughs> oh, boy, I was confused. <laughs> I, I'm going with 11. I, I this is one of my favorites. I took out two. I took out one for for the undeveloped character of Katarina. I think I still felt like they could have done more with her. And mm-hmm. honestly, shocking I'm saying this, I didn't think there was enough blood. There, I, there definitely I, could have been more blood, yeah. There could have been more. Uh, but this is still one of the best. So do you want to promote anything? Sure. I, I, uh, listeners, uh, if you don't already, you can uh, interact with me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at RL Terry one. I'm also the creator and writer for the sitcom Forza Crowd, which you can follow on Twitter at Forza Crowd Pod. Uh, season two uh, starts on Monday, October 11th. So, which is you know, probably a you know a day or so, or you know after this comes out or whenever. So, it's starting here in October. Uh, season one is all available on whatever podcatcher you're using. It's only 15 episodes, half hour, just like a television sitcom. So it's easy to pair with a lunch break or a commute. So if you love the uh, classic sitcom packaging, but you want to see it, or in our case, hear it with uh, modern stories, with modern characters, and the show is probably right up your alley. And I'm uh, looking forward to season two launching and uh, trying to encourage uh, more content creators uh, to create scripted content for podcasting which is you know uh just a, an extension of radio and so i love the idea of reviving uh, really what started television which are these uh, serialized stories on radio and so kind of going back uh, back old school um but yeah so uh, so uh, either way 
And uh, so just uh, thank you so much once again for uh, having me on the show to talk about the film. I had a great time no and problem. I learned I learned a lot too. Thank you so much for um, for everything uh, you brought to our discussion because some of that I didn't know. So I, I love learning <laughs> whenever I have the opportunity, which uh, I think uh, all professors uh, should uh, be in a constant state of learning. And that way uh, you can always um, you know, be able to continue you know, conversations with people. Now, if you want to hear my dulcet tones on other podcasts, I have two other podcasts. I have Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network, and Zero Science Network also has a miniseries that I am co-hosting with past and future guest Christopher Brown um, called When Scary Met Stabby. And we have, I think, two or three episodes out by now. And the last one comes out on Halloween. We're doing our favorite horror movies. And so far, we've done The Thing. We've done Friday the 13th. We are doing 28 Days Later. And we got some really good ones to end the end of the month. Um, so you can listen to those on Zero Science Network. You can email me, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. If you have suggestions for the show, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And give us five stars on whatever you know app you subscribe to. So once again, Ryan, thanks for doing this. Until next time, I'm Scott Curlin. Bye. Bye.